everybody and welcome to true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters this is katie weaver and i'm here with my sister co-host and partner in crime christy brower hello hello hey everybody how's it going it's i'm hanging in there sinus infections suck that's all i'm saying but other than that i'm great they do well yeah. good yeah it's uh it's our monday case yes, it which is. is always exciting to kick off the week and yeah, I'm good too. The sun's shining. It's uh, you know, spring's gonna come someday. I I have some faith and hope right now. Right? Yeah, it is kind of feeling like that, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I spent my weekend working on uh some resin memorial pieces, and I'm just thrilled with the way they're turning out. And yeah, I, I what can I say? A lot of time in my workshop this weekend, or my studio. I don't know what to call it these days. It's if you saw it, you'd probably go, my God, but. <laughs> Your room that really needs some attention. Yeah, that. Um, <laughs> room that anyway. tornado hit. Yeah, that one. Mm -hmm. There's good work going on down there. I promise. Well, good. <laughs> anyway, I'm excited to kick off Monday. We've got lots going on. So we'll have our cases uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday per normal. Mm -hmm. And on Wednesday night, of course, we will have case updates. Uh, our live stream at 7 p.m. Mountain. And then on Thursday, we'll have the Psychic Hour at 7 Mountain. Just yeah. lots happening. As always. Yeah. But Christy, yeah. I'm going to turn over the mic to you. I believe we are going to kick today's show off with an episode uh, or a segment. This is the episode. You're doing the segment. I'll get yeah, it yeah. right. Uh, a, a racial injustice segment, correct? Yes, we are. Okay. Do you know who the stolen girls were? No. So I learned this recently. This happened in 1963. And this is what I hate about the education that I received as a child, because it was shit, frankly. Mm -hmm. These are the Stolen Girls. So, in 1963, a group of students in Americus, Georgia, held a peaceful protest, protesting segregation. Okay. And there were um, quite a few people um, arrested. About 200 were arrested. Oh, wow. Most okay. of them were released pretty shortly, except for 35 young black girls who were, be who were held in a stockade. So this was oh. an old Civil War era prison. Oh, boy. They became known as the Stolen Girls. They were young. They were like 12 to 16. Like, they were kids. And they were held for nearly two months. Oh, no. In this uh, place. And they were, I mean, they were just barely surviving. With no running water, just sleeping on the floor. Being given... Poorly cooked 
hamburgers and egg sandwiches, which made them very sick. And they didn't have a working toilet. And occasionally, one of the guards would just throw a snake into the room where they were being held. It was absolutely horrifying. Oh. Absolutely horrifying. And a photographer named Danny Lyon finally found them after weeks of searching for them. Oh, my God. And let their community know where they were, and they were released. They were never charged with anything. They were never convicted of anything. And their parents were billed $2 a day to pay for their incarceration. What? Yeah. So this is a story that we all need to know. When you think that racial injustice isn't really out there, I want you to remember this story because this happened in 1963. You might think that was a long time ago, but no, it wasn't. Not That was not very long ago at all. Justify that. No. So I wanted to share that because uh, that story absolutely sickened me. And I thought it would be a good one to make sure we're all aware of. Absolutely. And you're right. We certainly would have never heard about that in school. No. Wow. Had no idea. All righty. Well, I'm going to pull the mic back over for our main case. And tonight, or today, we're going to talk about Emma Rourke. Yes. I'm going to share a picture here of Emma. This is Emma. She lived in the Sacramento, California area. She went missing on January 26th. And she, I want to tell you a little bit about Emma. Emma was 20 years old. She was a college student at a local college, and Emma was autistic, and she wandered away from her house. She went to take a walk, essentially, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, that must have been on January 27th, sorry, on January 27th. She left her home around 12, and she was walking somewhere along the river uh, in their area, and she never came back. And to her family, it was an immediate emergency because Emma is autistic. And it made them very nervous that she was out. It wasn't like her to not just come directly back home. Mm -hmm. And she did not. And so her family called the police and They felt like uh, the the police were a little slow in responding. Uh, I'm assuming in kind of, you know, thinking, expecting that this is somebody that's a little uh, maybe older or more capable than they assumed because of her age. And they did finally get going, you know, and, and looking. And there was a lot of info that went out in the area. She was described as a white woman standing 5'4 with blue hair, medium build. And her family was frantically looking. They put a lot out on social media. A lot of people in the area put a lot out on social media. And it took them about four days. And they did finally find her deceased. And uh, unfortunately, as well, uh, determined her death to be a homicide. Oh, my gosh. And so that was last Tuesday. 
And so now they're working on, of course, just figuring out what happened. Right. And obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions here about what happened to her. But her family really is, uh, they're asking some questions about, this was right in Rancho Cordova, by the way, uh, precisely. But at any rate, her family's asking a lot of hard questions right now about how, how should law enforcement respond when we are dealing with someone who is autistic because they may not ad- adequately represent um, their actual age in maturity or in discernment. And so there was an article that came out from ABC 10 in that area uh, by Mike Duffy about the the challenges of law enforcement trying to help people that are autistic or, or maybe otherwise uh, disabled that could be a victim of a crime because they have very specific challenges. And I think we should, can take this a step further into mental health as well, you know, right? because as we know, you know, historically, uh, people that are having like a, some kind of a psychotic break and things like that sometimes are, are treated uh, very inappropriately, you know, by, by law enforcement because they're presenting a certain way. You know, right. and, and right. sometimes their needs aren't really uh, met or maybe even considered. And, you know, as we know, that that's a long list of things. Like, for example, we know that people with schizophrenia should never be tased because it can actually kill them. And right. we right. know that because it's happened. Yeah. There was a case in Utah several years ago uh, with a man who had who was schizophrenia and he was in a really bad place with his mental health. And he was walking naked down the freeway and the police couldn't get him to stop. And eventually they tased him and it killed him. And there was a big conversation at that point about the fact that people with schizophrenia should never be tased because this could happen. But then again, how do you know? You know, anyway, Mm, it it just furthers the conversation about, you know, what kind of uh, training is needed, you know, for the best representation of all people. But there were some comments from a gentleman in this article who I thought his name was Wyatt Walsh. Uh, He's the Sacramento Autism Services representative. And I felt like he said some things that were really useful. Um, He said, if in searching for someone who has autism, certain sensory stimuli could be really overwhelming, like dogs, loudspeakers, loud sirens, things like that, that could potentially drive people further away. Yeah. Uh, also, people with uh, autism may be very naive and willing to go with somebody that they shouldn't be with. And yeah. That could be, a, you know, that is a real challenge. I was thinking about Juby. Juby was a kid who, with autism, a man with autism, who disappeared in Arizona last fall, last winter, and was finally found in a canal. And it was horrible, horrible. And his poor family, once they found the body, they were like, all right, well, there you go. And his family came back on the news and they were like, "Uh, no, there you go. How did our son get in the canal? And there's just no answers. But it's like, 
are we too quick to write off people's uh, demise because of their disability and just blame it on that without really digging deeply into what actually happened to them? In, in Juby's case, that certainly seems to be the case. Right. Uh, and, and we have no idea how Juby got in the canal. If yeah. he fell in the canal, if someone pushed him in the canal, you know, right. it, they have to go further. You can't just right. stop. Was, was there trauma to his body? Like there was a lot more to know. And his family, we still haven't heard anything from the results of that. But his family was pushing really hard for more info because they felt well, like that just simply wasn't enough. there had to be an autopsy that would give them more information. I mean. Well, you would certainly think so. Absolutely. So anyway. Well, Go ahead. It just, it comes down to training. It comes down to training to understand mm -hmm. what you're looking at and what you're looking for. Um, you know, mm -hmm. just de-escalation training is so, so important mm -hmm. in a situation like, like the man who was tased. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that seemed like a pretty extreme response to him mm -hmm. walking down. I know he's walking down the freeway naked, but mm -hmm. is, is he actually harming anyone? No. Is something clearly going on with him mentally? Yes. Yeah. So tasing him, he's not a violent criminal. He's not, you know, harming anybody. This was the way rather than some de-escalation, you know, like yeah. we've just gotten to a point where that, you know, violence is the, is the first action. Mm -hmm. And, and as far as, you know, like if a, I, I just don't understand if if a family reports to the police that an adult who is vulnerable because of some kind of neurodivergence or disability, why that wouldn't immediately be ta taken into um, consideration and then that person's case be treated a little bit differently, mm -hmm. you know, um, higher, higher, um, higher, higher alert, yeah. higher priority, you know, like this is a person who might, you know, unintentionally put themselves in an unsafe situation. They might go mm -hmm. with someone that they shouldn't go with, or they yeah. might not understand something that's going on around them that could really be dangerous. And mm -hmm. why would law enforcement not be appreciative of and use that information to make their job easier? I, I just mm -hmm. don't understand it. I, I really don't, but I, like I've just... definitely seen it. Oh yeah. We just have such a cookie cutter approach. I think. Right. Well, in, in, you know, reading this uh, case today and, and digging a little deeper, one thing that I learned is that disabled people are 26% more likely to be victims of a crime in the U.S. than in other places. Yeah. Or, or, or sorry, not other places, but, but that other people, 26% more likely. And that's a high number. That's crazy. Is. That is really a high number. Well, you know, when people are more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certainly um, people seeking out vulnerable people to take yeah. advantage of. Yeah. One thing that the autism experts said that I thought was uh, interesting and something to consider as well. I, I just think this is a good conversation to have. You know, he said mm -hmm. uh, it's a fine line because individualizing the situation is important. But, uh, you know, autistic people or neurodivergent people and, and certainly people with any disability want to want to be treated the same. Right. And yet when they're a victim of a crime, that may not be the case that, that you know, it, it is maybe a fine line in some ways, but I, I, it seems like really the answer here is better training and more maybe skilled and specialized staff that understand 
Yes. Absolutely. You know, these very specific situations better and, you know, should be able to weigh in and offer some assistance in helping people, uh, you know, such as this sweet girl. But well, it's why I I advocate for social workers on police forces. Sure. You know, that in every situation there's a social worker available, you know, or somebody that's mm-hmm. got some training here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that kind of work for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that when you're the person in the room with the de-escalation skills or the mediation skills, you can change a situation really quickly from something mm-hmm. very intense to something workable. Mm-hmm. And if you have not had that training, you know, police officers are there to enforce the law. They are looking for a crime. That's what they're looking for. That's their job. That's their job. Yeah. So we need people whose job it is to look for other issues. Yes. In order to solve this. So, yeah, I I do think I agree with you. It's an important conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. So without any charge to it, you know, I mean, there's, this is not an attempt at attacking law enforcement in any way. It's, you know, it, they're just good examples of why we need to have better, better staffing, better training and more assistance. That's all. Right. Uh, the other interesting thing that I found while researching this case is that there's been a bunch of deaths of young women in that area in the last while. Yeah. Now I will say up front right now, cause there's been a lot of, uh, Rumors on social media that have law enforcement a little uh, perplexed about it. People trying to um, tie them all together and think that there's a serial killer in the area. Law enforcement is saying that it's absolutely not the case, that these are isolated incidences. The killers are not the same. Uh, But I think it's important to know that there is, that in Northern California, women seem to be a little unsafe. Uh, There was a murder of a woman named Cynthia Crane in Gurnville on December 18th, mm. Crystal Leah McCarthy in Napa River on December 14th, uh, she was found two days before Christmas, Amber Dillon of Willits found on Geyser Road in Cloverdale on the 7th of uh, January, Alyssa May Saudi in Mendocino County found on the 11th of January and now Emma Rourke. So that's actually five. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. while the police are saying that they don't believe that this is uh, a serial killer and that these deaths aren't uh, connected, I think it's still important to point out that women in Northern California need to be really careful because it seems like there's a lot of crime against women going on there. And there's something afoot. And you know, it's hard because Quite frequently, law enforcement does not know there's a serial killer happening until the deaths are done and they right. are working on catching someone. And that's mm-hmm. unfortunate, but it does seem to be mm-hmm. the case. Like there's a lot going on right now with, we talk about DNA all the time, but there's mm-hmm. a lot going on right now with DNA that's revealing serial killers who were functioning in an area for many years mm-hmm. and were never identified. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's. It's not so easy to know. Yeah. Yep. No, definitely no. Yeah. Well, and locals totally disagree. Totally disagree. But. Well, it's easy from the outside looking at it and go, well, there's all these deaths. It's got to be. Right. But you got to figure they probably know who some of those killers are. There's probably some domestics here. There's probably some other stuff happening that maybe we don't know, you know, if they're working on solving them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
But it's really disheartening to see that, those numbers, you know. Yes, it is. Um, at any rate, that's what we know. So. Well, much love to Emma Rourke's family. And I really hope they get answers. Yes. Yeah. Now they have officially ruled her death a homicide. So now hopefully they will finally get those answers. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. Christy, I'm going to turn the mic back over to you for some WTF crime. Oh, boy, do I have some for you. James Gordon Walcott. Mm -mm. In uh, 1967, August 4th, he was 15. And he took a 22 long barrel rifle and he used it to shoot his father, mother, and 17-year-old sister in cold blood. Mm. Holy shit. After he murdered them, he flagged down a car, told the driver that his parents had been shot. Mm. Not long after the police started talking to him, he admitted what he had done. When he went to court, um... He, his defense was that he had a mental illness and that that had gotten worse because he was addicted to airplane glue, oh. which, oh boy, that stuff is so bad for your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, he was later diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic and mm -hmm. rather than he, his trial lasted for six months, oh. which, wow. During that time. Wow. He said, here were some reasons for the murders. He was tired of his mother's loud chewing. His sister's bad oh. accent. And his father's disapproval of his anti-war views. Oh. He also felt that his family was conniving against him to drive him out of his mind. Oh, boy. So at the end of that six-month trial... Uh, he was acquitted by reason of insanity, and he was admitted to the Rusk State Hospital uh, in 1968, and he spent six years there. Mm. Well, he was released six years later. Mm -hmm. During that time, he just... But six years for the murder of three people. Yeah. Wow. He was 17 and obviously treated as a minor. Mm-hmm. He uh, changed his name and just sort of disappeared. Hmm. And recently, the world has discovered that he changed his name in 1976 to James St. James. James St. James? Yeah. Huh. Kind of odd, right? Well, it's not original, but okay. It's also calling yourself a saint, which seems weird. Uh, yeah. True. So then he goes to um, the Millican University in Decatur, Illinois, and he gets his PhD in psychology. Oh. Yeah. So he's now been teaching at Millican for the last 30 years. My God. This person who was supposedly too crazy for... Yeah. Yikes. Okay. So he's been teaching there for the last 30 years. He's won the college's Teaching Excellence and Leadership Award before. Um, and he's now the chairman of the Department of Behavioral Sciences. 
Wow. So apparently um, people in the community figured out who he was and went to the school and said, hey, we're pretty uh, concerned about this. And the university has stood by him and has not let him go. And he continues to teach now to this day. Wow. I know. I don't know what to think about it, really. I mean, he served his time. Yeah. You know, was this very much more about the addiction to airplane glue than it was anything else? I mean, the thing is, are there are there um, instances of recovery from schizophrenia? Yes, there are. Sometimes those uh, psychotic episodes happen for a short while and then never happen again. I mean, we don't know mm -hmm. for sure, but it is a strange thing to think that a man who killed his family as a as an older teenager is now teaching psychology and has been for 30 years yeah just under the radar for all the students his? i know later and apparently he's he's well loved and he his, must be his yeah. um yeah he um has some particular classes that are i think abnormal psychology um, is one of them that he teaches. Oh, an experimental <laughs> I mean, uh, psychology. Yeah. He's an expert. <laughs> that are, you know, well-loved. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just found it strange. It made mm -hmm. me twitch a little. And so I wanted to share it with you. Yeah, I'm interested to hear what everyone else thinks. Uh, on one hand, good for him, I guess. for Right. You know, for, for doing his time and turning his life around and 100%. On the other weird flex to go straight into change your name and uh, go straight into psychology. Uh, yeah. Weird. Maybe not that weird, you know, trying to understand himself. Yeah. I guess. I don't know, but it is strange. Like I, the first time I read this, I was like, Oh God. And then like, that's not fair because we can't, if people serve their time. If people, mm -hmm. you know, give the opportunity to get well, like that can be the case, but yeah, it is. It, it is a weird flex. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Mm hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And interesting that, uh, how do people figure this out? I'm not sure. Somebody in the community figured out who did figured it out mm -hmm. and shared it there in the town where this indicator, Illinois, and mm -hmm. went to the school with it. But I'm not exactly sure how they figured it out. Mm hmm. But it is an odd thing. Yeah, it is very odd. I mean, oh. the murders were a real long time ago, and obviously he's not been arrested for anything since then. So, yeah, you know. Hmm. I, I'm kind of on the team of it's, it's okay. Yeah. I, I kind of had the knee-jerk reaction at first, too. Like, what? This can't be. This can't be all right. But really, why? Yeah. I guess. No. Interesting. Something to consider. Please feel free to discuss in the comments and tell yeah. us what you think. Because I found this a, a very interesting uh, story. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. That's our Monday episode. Mm -hmm. So we will be back on Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Just a whole lot more to come. Absolutely. In the true crime world. So mm -hmm. like, share, follow. Uh, we would love it if you wanted to subscribe to our Patreon. We've got lots of extra content over there. Yes, we do. And uh, various levels of uh, engagement that you can join over there with. But it helps us a lot. And we appreciate you guys a lot for joining the Patreon, giving us a little sure. support that way. So, And that's just True Crime Paranormal on Patreon. So 
Thanks so much for being here, you guys. This has been yet another production of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Thanks, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.